you, the listener, has come through once again with a great show. I barely have any work to do. We've got some feedback on our discussion about women in ministry, about Kanye West, and about a cold civil war. We'll do that and more on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing could be This is not me being fake humble, because we all know I couldn't even fake it if I tried. But the show is better when I don't fully drive, when this show is reciprocal, when you're sending me responses and we have conversations. So I've got a ton of that today. Even an email from a first-time emailer, Craig, wrote in with some good thoughts. And so we're going to get to all of that in just a moment. But first, my name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything. Here on the Corey Truax Show, I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood meets at 1030 Sunday mornings in Greenville, South Carolina. We'd love to have you any given Sunday morning at 1030. Speaking of, something I've been putting out on the podcast feed for those listening live on His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9. Over on the podcast feed, I have been posting my sermons from the month of November. So I'm, I'm preaching at Beachwood for the month of November, not all of it, just the Sundays. And I'm posting those there. So if you have interest in the book of Mark, and you have interest in, in hearing some biblical teaching throughout the week, we've already got, well, what's the one we have up already? Uh, Jesus calming the storm and some deeper meanings there. Uh, there's The next one up is Jesus casting that legion demon into some pigs. That's weird. There's some weird background about the woman with an issue of blood that comes the week after that. So there's a lot of good stuff there on the podcast feed. I'd be honored if you would go find that there. All right, let's do the show. I got two or three responses to a a statement I made on the last show pretty quick. Like, I I kind of brushed over it, and I think that's why I got those responses on, I think it was Twitter. I I, I said that we, the American people, that we're already at civil war. Culturally, we're in a civil war. It's just a cold war. And so for all of the talk uh, and the tough guys out there that like to talk about civil war, well, that's what drove me into that discussion is we're all, and I think I had a question from somebody too, like what would it take to have another civil war? And as I, as I dwelled on that, I, I recognized we're there. We just aren't shooting at each other yet. And as I said last week, we should pray that that's the, stay the case. And so I got a couple of responses that uh, seemed to like that analogy and wanted to flesh it out some more. And we, we went back and forth a little bit, and so I, I think it's an I think it's a valuable thing to bring to you. So here's what I mean: when I say we're in a we're in a civil war, so in 1850s we actually right, yeah that's right late 1850s get into the civil war that's Americans actually fighting each other. We're in one of those. We're in a war where Americans are fighting each other. It's just like the Cold War we had with Russia. We had well I guess that then it would have been the Soviet Union, and that war throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and into the early 90s when the Berlin Wall falls. That is not true. Berlin Wall fell in 88 or 89. You know, through the 80s, 50s, 60s, 70s, those 40 years of Cold War. So put those two cold, those wars together. Civil War, Americans fighting each other, but it's a Cold War and that no one is hurting each other. So first, the emotions and impressions of the Cold War are present here. If you talk to a rank-and-file American, just going to going to work 9 to 5, 5 days a week, in a, in a suburbs, you ask them about the Russians, the Russian government, the Russian people. What's your impression of them? Well, they're godless. They're godless people 
who hate us and want to see our our values and our way of life destroyed. That's what that's who the Russians are, and that's what their their government is trying to do. That, that's why they have those nuclear weapons. That, that's what they want. They want to destroy us because they want hegemony and they hate our way of life. And you go over to Russia. What do you think about the rank and file American and the American government? Well, they hate us. They're they're gluttons and they're materialists uh, in, in terms of materialism, wanting more stuff. And uh, they're all, they're all selfish um, and rubes, and they want to destroy us. They want to destroy our way of life. They don't. They think what we think is evil. We think they we think they're evil, and we they think excuse me. And they want to destroy us. That's why they have those nuclear weapons. So we're there, guys. The emotion and impressions of the Cold War are present in this country. There is some group of people. I think it's twenty to twenty five percent of the country on one side of the spectrum that actually thinks those other people on that side of the spectrum, they want to destroy us. They think we're evil. They think we're backward. They want to take our, let's go the right side, they want to take our guns. By the way, some of them do. But they want to take our guns. They want to make our religion illegal. They want to take away our ability to raise our own kids. They want to take our kids from us. They want to destroy our way of life and they hate us. And you go to the, I think it's 20 or 25% of the country. On the other side, the other, like the left side of the spectrum, you ask them about the folks on the right, and, well, those people want to destroy us. They want to take away all of our individual, they want to take away our individual freedom, our sexual freedom. They want to, they want to take things from us. They want to destroy us. They don't even want us in the country. That's the philosophy of the Cold War between the peoples. There's two sides that think the other wants to destroy them which leads to one little rabbit trail I want to chase. I cannot tell you how much I dislike the phrase, the American people. Oh, God, it gets on my nerves. Ben Shapiro says it a good bit. Glenn Beck says it a good bit. Um, politicians say it all the time. And I don't think the American people want this. Uh, this we'll just use the examples of the, of the news right now. I don't think the American people want us wasting time on this impeachment inquiry. And uh, the American people want to know what, the, what Trump's tax returns say. We say the American people. There is no such thing as the American people. We don't agree on anything, guys. You couldn't get one-third of the country to agree on something. There's no such thing as the American people. We're all separated into little factions, so I can't stand that phrase because it's, it's not a thing that actually exists. There is no unified American people. So, this civil war that we're in, it's like a cold war. The emotions and the impressions are there. They're similar. Now, also in that cold war, there were skirmishes. Sometimes it wouldn't be so cold. You can think about some of the actual hot wars or things that became close, like the Cuban Missile Crisis. The conflict down in Grenada, Grenada, I don't know how you pronounce that country. Some of the efforts America would put in around the world, the United States would put in around the world, was to diminish the influence and the growth of the philosophy held in the Soviet Union. And some of the things that the Soviet Union would do throughout the world was to diminish the power and the influence of the philosophies of the United States. That was happening happening in the foreground sometimes with wars and skirmishes. Sometimes it was in the background through spycraft and cunning. But there were skirmishes. We have those too. The, civ- the, the civil war that we're in that is a cold war... It breaks out into the open sometimes, but not necessarily in violence. I didn't mention last week. We've had some of that with the Antifa people 
But for the most part, it stayed cold. Here's some examples of the way that it's it's broken out into the open, and you can see it. I, I was talking with my family after church on Sunday and learned that on this uh, dancing show, just, uh, star, uh, Dancing with the Stars, that the first, um, whatever his name it was, the first press secretary for this administration, that he's apparently on the show, so he's a Trump, a former Trump administration official, and he's on the show, and he's a terrible dancer, and but, but, the, but the viewers of the show keep voting him through. This is a meaningless skirmish, but that's what this is. So this is a, there's a group of people out there, they're the kind of people that say Hollyweird, and they say things like Hildebeest, and they say dumb things like that because they don't, they don't have the intellectual maturity to grow up and not use nicknames. Now granted, there are folks on the left that do that too. They say things like Republitard and things like that. If we could all just grow up and quit saying names, I know the President of the United States does it, but let's all be smarter than that and not do the name-calling thing. But there are people out there that say things like Hollyweird that are like, well, we're going to get we're gonna get them. We're going to stick it to those Hollywoods, Hollyweird people. We're going to keep voting this guy's guy through. Whatever his name is. I feel like his name is Scott something. I don't know what his name is. And so is that a, a skirmish that matters? Of course not. But it's a, it's a point. Like, there's human beings on the planet who take some joy in, I want, I, th- I think those people in Hollywood, they want to ruin my life and they hate me and they want to destroy my way of life. And so I'm just going to take some joy in just poking at them a little bit through voting for this guy. It's a small skirmish, but it is a skirmish. It happened, it happens on the left with Chick-fil-A. By going to college campuses and trying to get Chick-fil-A kicked off of, camp- kicked off of campus. Getting them kicked out of airports where, they have, uh, where they're set up. Why? Because there's folks on the left that say, Chick-fil-A is an institution that stands for things that I think want to destroy me. Because, by the way, for no good reason. Because Truett Cathy, its owner, said, Hey, marriage, the thing that we've had for 6,000 years of human history throughout time and a culture, yeah, I think we should keep it the same. Uh, men and women should be married, nobody else. Because the owner said that in an interview, then Chick-fil-A is an institution of oppression. And so folks on the left, because they feel threatened by our existence, by folks on the, the existence of people on the right, they actually are, it's a, it's a little skirmish, they go out and try to cause trouble for Chick-fil-A and get them kicked out. It's a small thing, but it is breaking out into the open that one side feels like the other side is an existential threat to its very existence. I think we saw that in the Colin Kaepernick case. I, again, think those of you that cared about that, uh, I, those of you that cared so much about it cared too dagger much, uh, who were so, so offended by someone not kneeling for your, for your song. Excuse me, not standing for your song. Uh, but that was one of the skirmishes. Because then there were people who were, who were saying things like, I'm not watching the NFL ever again. They got people kneeling for my song. And you, you, it, they, weren't signif- uh, they weren't sufficiently country-loving enough for you. And so I'm turning them off. And fo- then folks on the right, excuse me, that's folks on the right. Then there's a f- small group on the left that then boycotts something else. For example, when I think it was the, the father from the Duck Dynasty people when they were on TV. I, I think that show's off the air now. But when Duck Dynasty was on the air, Phil Roberts had some, said something about traditional values. I think it was traditional marriage once, once again. And they tried to get them thrown off the air. And we're going to boycott them. And so there's these little skirmishes that pop out there that show this is the case. We are at war with each other, but we're not shooting at each other. We're just taking little shots 
here and there in the culture that aren't actual bullets. They're just efforts. At, sh- at first, it's signaling. It's signaling, I don't like you. I think you want to destroy me, so I want to destroy you back. We're making those signals, but at the same time, we are actually trying. There's some of us. Some, I, I'm not us. I do not count myself in this. That are actually trying to destroy other people because they feel so threatened. I think this happens in at large on the left in art and media. For folks who seem to be so uh, disinterested, like I think they want to give off the impression of being disinterested in matters of faith and disinterested in traditional values. A lot of the art and media is obsessed with mocking it. This is why I, one of the reasons I, I tend to agree with R.C. Sproul that there is no actual such thing as an atheist. I know there's people that say they're atheists, and I even know some, and I like them. I, I, actually, I love those people. But the couple atheists I know, they're obsessed with God. They're obsessed. They think, they think about God more than most church people. It's a thing that it's like their biggest, most important hobby is thinking about God. They're obsessed with him, really. And, and so most of the art in the media is directed at mocking people on the right or, or Christians, and I say or because those two things aren't the same. The political right and Christianity aren't the same thing. And so they're taking their, those little shots. Guys, that's just called propaganda in a war. In a war, we just that's what we call it. We call it propaganda when you put out media to, to make a mockery or to make points about how dastardly and how terrible your opponents are. And then there's equally, there's some propaganda on the right. I mean, guys, that God's Not Dead movie wasn't all that good. But, like, there was no dynamic nature to that character that Kevin Sorbo played. He was just a super de-duper evil atheist who had no redeeming qualities, and for some reason at the end of the movie, prayed a prayer of confession and repentance. That was a little shot at them. This is ha- so it's there. Some of you thought it should be developed some more, and that's what I mean. We're at war with each other. We actually hate each other. Uh, by, by we, I think it's probably around half the country or less participate in this. It's less. Less than half the country are participating in the Civil War. But they actually think that there's a group of people that want to destroy them in their way of life. That group of people concurrently think this other group of people want to destroy them in their way of life. And so they're not fighting each other out in the streets yet. But they're finding ways to propagandize and to make moves to try to hurt the other side. I could go... I'll give you one more example. I don't want to say why... Why would I say I could when I actually can? It, there's now a movement on the left to pressure uh, Visa, MasterCard, like those financial transaction companies, PayPal, to cut off service to any place that sells AR-15s. So you can't. Like, they're they're trying to pressure Visa into into making it a deal where, hey, Dick Sporting Goods or hey, uh, Bass Pro Shop, whatever that place is called. If you want to keep selling that kind of rifle, we're our our cards aren't going to work in your store. There's a there's a group of people out there on the left that are trying to get banks to stop lending to places that manufacture guns. So, you, so this is another part of the part of the war. Like part of war is often financial. You try to wreck the economy or wreck the finances of your enemy. And I don't know the, the, the concurrent thing on the right. There's a, I'm sure there is out there somewhere trying to ruin the economic outcomes of those on the left. But it's there. It's real. It is a war. We are at war with each other. A, a, one small group against another small group. I'm not participating, and you shouldn't either. But it's, it's a civil war. 
that's also a cold war. And let us continue to pray that it does not break out into a hot shooting war. Thank you for your responses on that. When we come back, I got an email from Craig I want to get into. He had one thought on uh, Kanye West that we talked about last week, and then another response to uh, what women can do in ministry. So we'll get to that when we return for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Now some of you are getting it. It's free. It's like $50 to spend on Amazon on whatever you want. How on earth is it taking some of you so long to review the show? A quick reminder, in about two weeks, I'm going to put all of these reviews into a randomized picking of the of the name out of some kind of bucket of some sort, I would imagine. And we're going to give one of you a $50 Amazon gift card for having reviewed the show. I'm going to quickly read to you one review recently from LGBird422. So I'm glad it's not 420. That would probably not be one of my listeners. LGBird422 says, Corey is enthusiastic about everything he does. Yes, I am. And it's obnoxious. He will make you laugh. I'll try. But he will also make you have deeper thoughts about his topics on the show. Love it. Well, thanks, LGBird. I don't know who you are, but I appreciate you saying so. And there's other good reviews out there to go read as well. I'm not asking you to go read reviews about me. That would be weird. I am saying you should go write your own on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Go write a review. Send me a screenshot at Show at gmail.com or anywhere on social media. I will enter you in the contest to win a $50 Amazon gift card from me. All right, back to the show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Connect to me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. I'd be grateful if you would. We're going to go to the emails now, and I'm going to read you one from Craig. Who I think this is the first time Craig has written into the show. So thanks for being out there listening, and thanks for writing the show. If you want to be like Craig and send in your thoughts, you can do that to CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. Again, also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you can send me thoughts and reactions there, and I hope you will. Because again, when you do, I have to do less work. I have to do less searching for things to say, because I can just respond to yours. I'm going to do the second part of his email first, um, because I think that one will be shorter. So second part of the email from Craig says, in the matter of Kanye West, first, let me stop. So last week I reviewed that album. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to the review of the Kanye West album. That was fun. Uh, But he says, in the matter of Kanye West, I truly hope the man is converted. This is now me, not Craig. Amen to that. I mean, anytime there's a a profession of faith, you want it to be real. Back to the email. I will watch what happens with him over time. As I said, as as we all should. Um, Same thing when when your kid makes a profession of faith. You look for the fruit of that profession. Uh, what did, next in the email, um, I never pa- I never paid any attention to him before. He seemed to be a Hollywood and music industry clown. Totally agree. Uh, the same in the same passage that I just brought up. Okay, so he, w- his first part of the email was about women as deacons, and so we're going to get back to that. So that that passage is First Timothy three. Uh, he says here in the same passage I brought up, verse six says about the quali- qualifications for an elder. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation. So I talked about that months ago. When this first, when this Kanye thing first started, I, I said on the show, he's not an elder, he's not even trying to become a pastor, but uh, there, there is some concept we should take here that 
the Bible has warnings against promoting into leadership a recent convert. That's a bad idea. And for some of those reasons, or the reasons for that, are really obvious. Now, and Kanye doesn't seem to be trying to do that, not trying to lead, um, but it is, it's good, uh, good counsel not to hold up a recent convert as, a, as an example. Uh, next in the email, it is interesting to see Kanye's conversion and what he puts forward. Uh, but young people seem to be looking to him as a leader because of who he is in the music industry. We need to watch him in leadership as this passage suggests we do for pastors or elders. Yeah, um, agreed. Agree with that. I mean, we don't need to be thinking of him as an elder. And for the younger folks in our, or a leader even for that matter, and for the younger people who would be influenced by him, we should give them that counsel that that's just not a, he's not someone to follow in that way. You know, I had another, who did he, someone, it was a direct message maybe. I got a, a message or an email about, about about Kanye West and this fact that I, I guess I overlooked for a bit. He's still married to Kim Kardashian. And that's not a, I, I think some people are bringing that as like a condemnation. Well, what kind of believer would be married to Kim Kardashian? Well, he married her when he wasn't a believer. So there is, there's actually some modeling here to consider. Uh, that I think that's in 1 Corinthians, where this is where Paul writes about the situation where there are two pagan people. They're married. They're committed to each other. One of them hears the gospel, repents of their sin, and follows after Jesus. And so now we got a believing husband or believing wife. But let's go with believing husband. We've got a, a husband who is following Jesus now, a totally transformed and different person than he was when he got married. And we have the unbelieving wife who thinks the whole thing's crazy. Well, what do you do in that situation? Well, Kanye's about to have to model that for us, right? He's about to have to model it because he has a pagan wife. And the uh, because, because God values marriage in, at, at such a high and holy level, the counsel, the command to that man is stay married, love your wife well, serve your life well, and pray for her conversion. So uh, he's got... I can't imagine how hard his life is, right? He's got a he's got a whole pagan family, and let's assume his conversion is real. That's got to be hard to navigate. Some of you listening to me might know that, like you might know what it's like to be in a situation where you are the one real believer in the family. There might be some folks who tangentially say they kind of believe, but they don't really live it out. Or maybe you are in a family that has no real religious value whatsoever and you're the one believer, that's got to be hard. It's got to be weird. And so a good word from Craig there. Okay, so to the first, to the first part. I said uh, last week, I think, that I would be okay with, um, and it, uh, I hate that phrase. I said I would be okay with women deacons, but it doesn't matter what I would say, right? Well, my real position is the way I read the scripture, I, I, I see a a space, a place for a woman to be a deacon. Not an elder, not a church leader in that way, but to serve in the role of deacon as described in First Timothy and several other places. So that was my, that was my statement. That's how I read, read the scripture. Craig said this. In the talk about deacons, you mentioned women being qualified to be deacons. I don't see how they fit the qualifications in First Timothy 3. And then he quotes from 1 Timothy 3, I think this is verse 11. Their wives, their wives, there you would assume, I'm about to teach you something about that, their 
uh, would refer back to men. men uh, these deacons, these, these deacons, well, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers. And so the assumption there is, well, if, they're, if we're talking about their wives, we must assume they are men, right? That's actually not a bad argument at all. Reading the English scripture that we have, it's a totally logical and rational take to say, oh, well, what, what, what do deacons have to be? All right, well, here's this, and oh, they, uh, their wives. Their wives must, must be dignified. Oh, well, then definitely deacons are dudes because only dudes are going to have wives, right? So it's totally fair. Um, so he quotes the rest of the scripture. Uh, their, their, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, uh, managing their, their children and their households well. So I so first let me say this. For the people who interpret this to be that there is no space for a woman to serve as a deacon, uh, I man, I wouldn't really fight you that hard on it. I'm, I'm gonna tell you why I disagree. But this is it's just it's just nothing to ever separate over. It's nothing to uh, to fight over in my opinion. I, I think it would be useful and when you're choosing what church family to be a, to be a part of, you need to be in a church that there's you have unity with the leadership on that because uh, there's it, it could cause some issues right uh, the the people that don't allow women deacons I love those folks I disagree with them and I'm about to tell you why uh, but I, I'd probably not be in a congregation with them because we have but I, I I would pray for them and hope their ministry is successful we just have a disagreement on that one thing and likewise if you're someone like me or if you're someone who yeah like me who thinks there is space for women deacons. Uh, you know, you're, there's a church that has that position. You know, you're, you're going to want to think about whether or not you want to be a part of that church. I mean, because you, if you, especially if you hold this to be a really important issue for you. All right, so here's some important points about how to read through that First Timothy three passage. First, this is hard to do on radio because I can't illustrate it, but the word there, T H E I R, so possessive wives, their wives. That word is in the ESV, it's in the KJV, it's in several, it's, it is uh, in several versions. In the original Greek, there is no there there. So there is no T-H-E-I-R space T-H-E-R-E. There is no possessive there there. I don't know how to pronounce the word in Greek. It's something like Gyanakis, Gyanakis, I don't know. But that's the word. It's just, it, it can be translated wives or women, right? So... That's one, that assumption that, again, it's logical to say, well, their wives, possessive, the possessive their wives, means it has to be men. Well, that word's not actually there. That was a choice made by translators to slide that, that pronoun, that's not a pronoun, yeah, possessive pronoun there, uh, into the English language. So that's one. Second, as you read through it, you have the word uh, likewise is important, so as it, it's, it's in a list, right? So uh, as I'm talking about deacons, de- deacons must be, I think it's um, dignified, uh, not addicted to wine, uh, not greedy or dishonest, oh, se- several of those things. And then if you take out the their wives and just put in Gyanakis, it's women likewise. Gyanakis likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded. And, and so when you uh, they even get to verse 12 with let, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, well, because we're in a list, it, it is like Paul just goes back to talking about 
the the first part. So the first part of the the paragraph is men that are deacons should be like this. Likewise, women who are deacons should be like this. And then moving back to my, uh, as Paul does sometimes, because the way this language is, the antecedent at the beginning with the with the men, they they need to be husbands of of one wife. So, I th- I think there's room to read in the original language that, especially because the word likewise, uh, you can you can read it in a way that says this, these women are part of the list. Uh, so there you go. Take out the word there, and you don't have the word. You technically don't have the word wives. You have the the Greek word for women. Translators chose to make it their wives instead of just saying women. There's, there's disagreement on that. That's totally fine. I understand uh, the disagreement. Uh, there, there's also some other biblical um, uh, support for this. I mean, you you got Phoebe, right? Uh, the actual word in uh, what is that? Is that Romans sixteen. Some translations say uh, Phoebe, the servant of the church, but it is just the word for deacon. Um, so Phoebe, the deacon of the church in whatever city she was in. And so uh, there you go. Uh, there was a good email by by Craig and well argued, but that is where I stand. And I, I think I stand on a, a decently strong spot uh, biblically. And then just to give you some other folks who share the same opinion, John Piper's there, Tim Keller's there. Uh, Matt Chandler's there. I believe, I think R.C. Sproul was there uh, in this before he died. Um, but those who translate it, excuse me, those who interpret it differently, totally cool. It's not a primary issue. I wouldn't call it a secondary issue. This is a tertiary issue. Like it's it's on down the list of things that we should be uh, fighting over. And Craig wasn't, by the way. He was actually quite nice in the email. Okay, moving on. Well, actually, I'm looking at my clock here. I got like five minutes in the segment. We'll stay on a Bible thing. I wanted to do, if I had time on the show, I wanted to do this. So I mentioned earlier, uh, for those who are listening on His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9, I am posting these sermons in November to the podcast feed. And more people are listening to those than I thought. As in, uh, my, let me say it this way. My uh, talk with Doug a couple weeks ago about, Pastor Doug, about John MacArthur and Beth Moore, it barely overtook my previously number one listened to episode in the first week. So uh, I had about 1,100 people listen in the first week to me and Emily Blocksdorf talk about the Enneagram, and then it was right in that neighborhood, but a few more listened to me and Doug talk about Beth Moore and John MacArthur. So I I judge episodes over period. For for some of you, I don't know what your deal is. You wait like a month to listen. I don't know. Like Sometimes the show is about current events. Maybe you should listen when the show's current. So anyway... uh, I judge by how fast people get to it. Like I, that's one of my metrics. Like how fast are people waiting? Like I really want to get to that episode. And when I put out that first sermon, it, it got great numbers in the first day. And so I, I maybe that's a thing you guys want more of. I'm I'm gonna start sharing those. So anyway, just give you, I'm giving you now a, a synopsis of what you would hear if you're you, you the radio audience or are you the podcast audience who skipped over the 30 minute sermon about Jesus calming a storm. I just want to give you the rundown. So here you go. There is in Scripture, especially for the Jews in the Old Testament, imagery around water that's very important. So obviously in the New Testament, that imagery changes. Water becomes, you know, we're in baptism, but it, the the sign of the covenant before baptism was circumcision. And so water wasn't being used in that, in that symbolic way. But so if you go throughout 
the Bible, you'll see how water is used as an imagery for chaos. And if you're an ancient person, you can see how that would be. Water is just this uncontrollable force. It's, you really can't manage it. And so even, there's even some mystery to it. Like you go to bed and you wake up and there's dew on the ground. Like you, this, The storms are some of the more powerful things you encounter. It makes sense that water would be where the chaos comes from. Even to the extent that page one of the Bible, when, there's, when there is nothing, that the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters... So there was matter, apparently there was water, but it was, it was wild and waste is one of the ways you can translate that. Whatever the matter was, it, it had no form. It was, it was, that's what actually one of the translations says, it had no form. And the spirit hovered over the face of these chaotic waters, and it was God who was powerful enough to shape them into the world that we see. Um, there was, in Daniel, he has this weird vision where there's all of these beasts coming out uh, of the sea. It's a, a winged leopard and it's like got three heads and a winged lion and there's a bear that's really weird looking and then the, the beast that represents the Roman Empire comes out and where the other three beasts can be compared to animals. This one is so fearsome. There's not even an animal it can be uh, it can even be uh, referred to. So you have I could give you more, but there's a lot of imagery around water is where the monsters come from. Water is where evil and chaos come from. And so when you come to the story of Jesus going out into the Lake of Galilee, it's not really a sea, and a storm comes up, and the the command that, that Jesus gives is peace be still, to basically hush or shut up to it. It is a story that I think is historic and literal, but it's also more. It is a demonstration of Jesus' power to say to chaos and to say to the powers of evil, shut up, and it has to do it. And so it was a demonstration of his power. And that while that's the most, uh, most direct meaning, there is also this application for us. You've prob- if you grew up in church, you heard people say things like, Jesus will go with you through the storm. And it sounds trite, but it's actually part of what that story is saying. That Jesus does not avoid storms for you, he just goes through them with you. You know, the, the sailors woke up, the sailors being the disciples, they wake up Jesus and they ask him a question, do you even care? Do you even care that we're dying, that we're going to perish, that we're going to die? And Jesus does this with all of his questioners, he, he answers questions with questions. He does that to the Pharisees, he did that during his trial, uh, Jesus likes to ask questions back when you ask questions. And so they ask, do you even care that we're dying? And what Jesus says back is, do you have so little faith? It's a call to us too, because I think we've all had that prayer. I know I have. I know I've had the prayer, do you even care? Do you even care that I'm, I don't think I'm going to make it? Do you even care? And God's response back to us in those panicked times, those anxiety-laden times, the response back from Jesus is, do you even have any faith in me? Can't you look back over the narrative of your life and know I've already brought you through so much. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to bring you through this too. Of course I care. And I even have the power to calm the sea, to calm your chaotic seas. There's a some direct meaning in there with the story, but there's also some deeper levels. And if you want more of that, you can go find that sermon on the podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. When we come back, I'm going to do it. 
We're going to do a little politics to end the show. We'll do that when we come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. I only barely want to. There, there's some desire in me to go through the political things of the world. We haven't done it in a while, so we're going to dedicate the last segment to it. We're going to skip sports this week because by the, when I'm recording, the college football rankings have not come out yet, so I'm sure Heath and I will have a lot to say next week once those are released. You're listening to The Corey Truax Show. Wherever you're listening, if it's the podcast, thank you. If you're listening on His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9, thank you for that as well. I'm honored that you would give me any time at all. Believe this, if you've ever been listening to the show and went, I can't believe people listen to this guy. Listen nobody's more surprised than I am. No one's more surprised than anyone actually listens to the show. I'm even more surprised that people listen to the show a second time. Like, it's one thing for someone to go, hey, he seems like an interesting personality. I'll give that a shot. And then after one show, they go, yeah, I'm not doing that again. But you keep coming back, so thank you. Let's do it. Maybe you could tell I was uh, stalling. Oh, that's the word. I'm stalling because I didn't want to. I hate politics, but all right, here we go. There's this impeachment thing going on. Don't know if you heard, but uh, the Democrats uh, had a, f- a vote to make this impeachment inquiry formal, which just moves closer to my original prediction was, well, of course, they're going to impeach him, the President of the United States, and, of course, the Senate will acquit because there's not going to be enough evidence that he did anything illegal. There's a, I mean, you, the Senate can make up their own can make up their own standard for what is a high crime and misdemeanor. I've not I've not seen any activity that I could call high crime or misdemeanor. I've seen behavior I would call deplorable, despicable, unethical, immoral. There's been a lot of that. But if you're asking me, if, if I'm Lindsey Graham or Tim Scott, and you're asking me to vote on what I've seen thus far as a matter of criminality, I could not. I could not vote to remove from office because there's just not enough there. Like, especially where we started. We started with the transcript of that call. And the transcript of that call with the Ukrainian president, just, this is just not enough. There's not, not enough there. Now, throughout this inquiry, if you did not hear, I learned, because I listened to the top of the hour news on NPR from time to time, that that transcript is not a word-for-word transcript. I did, I did learn that. That a bunch of people who were a part of the call, listening in on the call, they got together and have agreed upon this is what the calls. This is what they said. This is what the calls' uh, essence was. Now, having more than one person involved in that process, that's good. It's it makes me feel uh, that I can believe the transcript is accurate, uh, and that transcript of that call between the Ukrainian president and Trump was not an, enough to to say he's done anything criminal. In terms of strategy, that's another point I wanted to make. Strategy on this, I think the the Trump people have gotten it wrong. The the thing from from Trump has been no quid pro quo. He just says it almost like a it's like a talisman. No quid pro quo. He just says it on stage. He says it in tweets. Maybe he could be talking about something else altogether. Talking about a new season of a TV show. Maybe I'll go back to The Apprentice. Also, no quid pro quo. The real a- actual good strategy would be yes, there was a quid pro quo. The quid was. You, the military aid, the quo is looking into the 2016 election to see if Ukraine uh, had any kind of corrupt dealings with it. That's what he really, I think that's what he, what he really wanted. I don't think it was, I, I think part of it was about Biden, but I think that's just word association. 
the president doesn't really know what he's doing. And so he said a, he said a dumb thing about Biden. So there was a quid pro quo. Uh, and I think what we've learned thus far from the transcripts of this impeachment inquiry is that that's, that is the truth. There is one. But that's not, a, that's not legal. Depending on what the quid and on what the quo is. If the, the I'm just going to say this or that. This for that. That's what quid pro quo means. This for that. If military aid is being held up for a political purpose, like trying to beat Joe Biden, that is, uh, get, get him out of there. That is a, an offense against our system that is removable, impeachable, and needs to be gone. But holding up military aid for an investigation into 2016, that's, that's fine. I mean, we, we spent a bunch of money. I'm fine. I was fine with it. I was fine with the Mueller investigation. I thought that was a, I don't, not a bad use of taxpayer funds. I mean, the actual auspice, the auspices of the, I don't know which one it is there, of the Mueller report was supposed to be, did the Russians interfere? That's fine. We, sh- we should look into that stuff. And holding up military aid for Ukraine to see if their government tried to influence the election, that's fine too. And if it was for, if holding up the military aid was for something else, like, oh, what was the other thing I was hearing about? Actually, can't recall, but it was, a, oh yeah, corruption. To to fire certain people that the president thought was corrupt, that's that's fine too. That is that is not a, a an activity outside of normal diplomacy. And so, uh, there, though, I guess that's the update. I think we are inexorably moving toward this impeachment. Like, it's going down. But unless there is just a lot more evidence... Uh, I, as much as I don't like the guy, I'm a, I think I'm a fair-minded person, and my fairness would say, I, and I'm for justice. Like ultimately, watching all of this in the news, as little as I have watched it, it's a, I think it's the healthy thing to be, to just be there saying I don't like anyone involved here. All of you are terrible, and so I just want whatever the the truth is to come out, and I want whatever just justice is to happen. Whatever justice happens to be, I want that. Whatever the truth is, I just want to know it. And then we'll operate from there. And uh, what is the, the old saying from the Civil War guy? Oh, dang the torpedoes, but I can't see the actual word. Whatever the consequences of the truth, let's just find out what it is and move on from there. Which brings me, I think, to my probably my last point on the impeachment thing. This is the longer point. I don't like, generally, what... The President of the United States, the effect he has had on the on the brains of people that I like. That, that would be people in the political world and folks that I, I used to like and admire in Congress, maybe even in personal life. I don't like what he's done to people's brains. And then folks on the left and the right. Because here's what I'm seeing. There are people that would not be folks who are like lauded, that would laud and commend people on the left that are doing that now because they hate Trump so much. Like, they hate him so much, they say nice things or overlook the problems of folks on the left. For example, you might not have even heard this story, but there was a congresswoman in California, Katie Hill, who was having, uh, I can't remember the, the term for it, but it's apparently in our sex-saturated and perverse culture when you're in a relationship with two people at the same time and everybody's okay with it. She was married to her husband and also in a relationship with a 22-year-old young female staffer. And then it came out that she was actually then 
having committing adultery on I guess against both her husband and the staffer with another guy in the office. This is a Democrat behaving this way, and you, and you got folks who are okay, uh, saying nice things about Democrats and the Democratic Party and folks on the left for one reason. They hate the president so much, he's ruined their brains. And it is vice versa. You've got folks on the right doing terrible things. There, you have folks on the right who, who, who misbehave, but they love the president so much. And really, you have the president doing terrible, stupid things. And they love him so much, they'll just overlook it. And so it's vice versa, where we've had this one polarizing figure, and a lot of folks have allowed him to dominate their morals, their ethics, and how they measure good and evil, and you just shouldn't let him do that. I I saw this a few weeks ago with uh, his little conflict with Romney. People in 2012 who, like, talked about Mitt Romney like he was, like, George Washington. I know people in my life who loved Mitt Romney. They didn't just vote for him in 2012 against Obama. They voted for him in 2008 when he ran in the primary and then vote for him again in 2012 because he's a governor and, he can't, and he's a businessman and he comes from outside the system. And, you know, really governors should be the people that uh, get to the White House because they've actually been an executive and they know how that world works. And don't you love that he's been in private industry and he's such a good guy. Look at all those kids and those grandchildren. I, I know people that loved Mitt Romney and he's the worst person in the world now. He's just terrible. Why? Because he doesn't like Trump. He said a bad thing about Trump. That's psychotic. If you voted for Mitt Romney in 2008 and 12, and now he's the worst person in the world because he doesn't like your orange man in the White House, that's psychotic. You should grow up. But it's the other way too, guys. Folks who were like, Mitt Romney's got a binder full of women. You remember that stupid controversy? And they talked about Mitt Romney as a guy who, he was part of a, a group in high school that, cut the hair of a kid who was effeminate, which probably didn't happen, by the way, and he put his dog on the roof, and he's a sexist and a bigot and a homophobe. He's the worst. That was in 2012. And now he said a bad thing about Trump. Don't you love Mitt Romney? He's such a statesman. He's such a great guy. All of you are psychotic. He's one guy. The tr- Trump is one guy. He was a TV host. He put his name on buildings that he didn't build. He'll be gone soon. Quit letting him dominate how you see the world. It's so weird. That Romney thing a couple weeks ago just blew my mind. You know who hasn't changed? Me. I feel the same way about Mitt Romney. In 2008 and 2012, when he was running, I thought, yeah, he'd be good. I, I, I wish he wasn't in a cult, and I wish he would trust Jesus for his salvation instead of his own works. But yeah, he's, he'd be a fine candidate, and I think he would do mostly conservative things, and I do genuinely, uh, it's, it's a big value of mine, is I do want political leadership to be of high regard and high esteem for their behavior and how they deal with others. I want that in a leader. Apparently that's a vice now uh, on the right. If you want leaders who are just generally kind, charitable people, then you're a loser and you don't want to fight. But I have not changed at all. I think about Mitt Romney what I did in 2008 like I do right now because I've not let one orange person break my brain. That's the, and which I told you this was the longer point because I'm about to wrap up this point with this. You can participate, specifically as a believer, you can participate in the political world. You just need to do it eyes wide open. 
And so there's when you, when you participate eyes wide open, what you're going to see is everyone is terrible. The folks on the right, mostly terrible. Folks on the left, mostly terrible. And if you decide, this is a totally fine decision, if you decide, I think that this side is a little less terrible than this side. It's going to be more advantageous for me and my family, maybe for religious liberty, uh, for, for judges, for me to vote for this other side of the two very, very bad available sides. I, I wouldn't try to bind your conscience or tell you no for a second. I would just say do it eyes wide open. So if you, like, there's, there's very few people doing that calculus. There's very few people doing the calculus of, yeah, everything's terrible. These people are just a little less terrible, so that's what I'm going to do. And when it's time to vote, I'll go vote. I don't feel great about it, but that's what I'm going to go do. Most folks get into cheerleading mode. And it's, my people are the best people. They're so right and righteous. And those people over there are so terrible. All right, well, that's, yeah, at that point, you've, you've probably made politics something of an idol. You're not seeing the world straight. And you need to, you need to spit yourself out of that system. That, doesn't, that does not mean don't vote. That does not mean you can't vote. You should. Go do that. And vote, and vote your conscience, whatever that is. But do it eyes wide open. And judge the news. So this impeachment thing, as it's going by, you just judge things by, by Scripture, and you judge things by your Christian worldview, and you don't do it by whose team is, whose team is that person on. Does that person like the president? Does he not like the president? What a dumb vapid, vacuous way to live. Have higher values than that. And where I land is everyone is just terrible. And I don't, I don't, like, I don't like how I'm participating in the political world. I, just, I don't even know how to participate anymore. It's all just so, it's just all so bad. Like I, I had a, um, a tweet sent to me from a friend. Um, and it was a quote from David Jolly. He used to be a Republican representative in Florida. And he, the quote was, uh, these are, in today's Republican Party, spineless politicians, rotten to the core, without virtue, without any level of human integrity, devoid of self-respect, without courage and without moral compass to recognize their own malevolence. That's what a former Republican congressman said about other Republicans. And I, I largely agree with him. I largely agree. The Republican Party is spineless, uh, without core. They have no virtue. They have no regard for integrity. They don't even have the moral compass to recognize how far off they've gotten. It was an accurate quote sent to me. The issue is, it's also true of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. They're also spineless. They're also without morals. They also have no moral compass. They're all just terrible. And so just interact with the political system knowing that that's true. We're not guaranteed virtuous leaders. You're probably not going to have them. And just participate in the system in a way where you're not ascribing virtue and goodness and righteousness to people who don't have it. I think we do that because it makes us feel better about ourselves, but it's, it's really deceptive and it's not, it's not good and we need to stop. We've run out of time. When we come back next week, we will have that sports segment. I think I have some thoughts when, when we come back together. Depending on what happens, I have some thoughts about this tax return thing going through the court system. We'll try to get into that. If you would be so kind, share the show with somebody. Go rate and review the podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast or to the Corey Truax Show on His Radio Talk 91.9, 92.9. We'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, peace and love.